Welcome to the conversation from St. Patrick's Studio. My name is Brian Cannon. Today we're exploring the organization Native American Connections, who we have a connection with through our social justice and outreach ministries here at St. Patrick. Now the mission of Native American Connections focuses on improving the lives of individuals and families through Native American culturally appropriate health, affordable housing, and community development services. So today I'm joined by Diana Yazi Devine. I have it on good authority that she goes by Didi. We'll get into how that happened some, <laughs> some point in the conversation. And she has been the CEO of Native American Connections since 1979. And she's the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including Valley Leadership's Woman of the Year, Phoenix Business Journal's 25 Most Admired CEOs. And let's just put it this way. She's in the W.P. Carey School of Business Hall of Fame at ASU. So it is a privilege and a joy to speak with Didi today. Welcome to the conversation and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for that amazing introduction. Sometimes I, I don't really think of it as being me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. That's you. <laughs> so, um, you know, CEO since 1979, and I can't imagine the growth that you've seen in the organization from that time until now. Can you just briefly describe the energy behind the movement that's been able to sustain it? You know, Brian, when I came to Native American Connections, um, I was the second employee and it was a new nonprofit. It was just um, starting up to, um, you know, to really serve the healthcare needs of the Native population. And I had moved from a tribal community and had a friend from Indian Health Service who was part of the founding board and asked me if I wanted to help out. And it came from, you know, going down there to help out, being the second employee to um, close to 200 employees now and 23 locations serving um, Maricopa County and predominantly Central Phoenix and helping some of our communities most vulnerable. So it's been a 42 journey of, uh, growing from the day I walked into Indian rehabilitation uh, to our um, the broad-based services that Native American Connections provides today. The genesis of Native American Connections is really quite amazing. So, you know, there's these five guys that got together and started it. How, how did that conversation start? Well, they were, um, they were Native American men who were concerned about um, the growing number of people that were moving into the Phoenix area, leaving the reservations, looking for jobs. And, um, you know, there was a very high unemployment, like 70% unemployment in a lot of the tribal communities in Arizona. And um, so there was this migration of people coming into the Phoenix area, but they weren't coming with the, you know, a job skill for an urban area. They might've been a farmer or a crafter or, uh, you know, those kind of things. And, and they arrived on the bus station in downtown Phoenix and found themselves, you know, fairly quickly homeless, not the right job skills, disconnected from their culture, language, and um, their communities. And that's why we were founded. And so these five men 
who uh, all Native American tribal members from the nearby reservation communities uh, founded uh, first Indian Rehabilitation, which become, became Native American Connections. So it was about helping people find a, a, a safe, affordable place to live, connecting them to jobs, and ensuring and improving the healthcare outcomes. And we still do that today, almost 50 years later, um, in just such a much greater scale. You know, you described this in terms of migration, which I'm really grateful for because, you know, this is, um, this is something that we're used to in the desert Southwest, the idea of migration for need, right? So you have people coming to the Phoenix area because of a particular economic need, but what can sometimes happen then is because they're in the Phoenix area, there might be a social and cultural isolation that a Native American experiences if they're not from, from here culturally. So how, why does that isolation happen to a, to a Native American person? And, and what does uh, an authentic cultural inclusion or re-encounter with that culture offer to a person? Well, let me back up just a step as I answer your question. Phoenix was a relocation city. That was a federal government strategy of relocating Native American people into the urban area, predominantly for assimilation. And uh, an underlying strategy was then if we can relocate Native people to the urban areas, then we can also then begin terminating, eliminating the reservations. And so Phoenix and Chicago and Minneapolis and Portland, LA, Denver, they were all relocation cities. And so in those relocation cities, you see nonprofits like Native American Connections, uh, Native Health, um, Intertribal Council of Arizona, the Phoenix Indian Center. We all uh, kind of sprang up because of that migration that we're talking about and that relocation. So um, our particular focus was really, really reaching out and saying, how can we then uh, provide those support systems that a, a Native American individual and eventually their family can be successful and uh, living in the Phoenix area. So for us, again, our focus was, you know, a safe, affordable place to live ensuring that they had access to healthcare and then um, uh, connecting them to meaningful, uh, meaningful work in which they could earn a wage uh, you know, to afford to live in the, in the Phoenix area. What does the community aspect of that look like? Because I've, I've heard you speak before about how within the Native American community, there are all of these tools for healing that are innate in that community, right? Yeah. So, so talk about yes. that community aspect a little bit. Yeah, I mean, particularly, well, I would just say when somebody comes to Native American Connections, you know, uh, our employees reflect the community. Um, we hire a lot of our clients that have gone through alcohol and drug recovery. Uh, maybe they've been in, uh, previously involved in the criminal justice system or they've been homeless. And so supporting them in their effort of healing journey and then actually then hiring them as employees. So when somebody touches us, they're going to, um, they're going to interact with somebody who knows their story because they've lived that story. So it begins with that. And then um, 
uh, particularly in our healthcare programs and in our substance use and mental health recovery, we, we actually use the, you know, thousand year old healing practices that um, tribes used in terms of the talking circle, the sweat lodge, uh, smudging, uh, storytelling, um, the way we heal uh, historical trauma um, through our uh, talking circle, healing circles. Um, it'll be the foods that we offer and serve. And we operate the Phoenix Indian School Visitor Center. And we have a commercial kitchen there where we're supporting uh, Native American chefs that have returned to indigenous foods mm. and gathering again. Um, the Native American diet has been severely impacted by a quick change in, you know, the processed foods uh, and a, a lifestyle that had to change when placed on the reservation. And so we're encouraging, you know, that uh, healthy foods and return to, you know, physical activity and those things that really promote health um, from a traditional aspect. Um, we've created a, a running group, Native Fit, uh, so many of the Arizona tribes, their history was running from village to village, uh, not as an exercise or fitness tool, but as a communication tool and, you know, carrying that legacy of running going forward and keeping your body, you know, fit and healthy. Um, the way we design our facilities, the way we, uh, you know, include the talking circle in, in our, um, you know, in our facility design, uh, incorporating community gardens and uh, single points of entry where we staff our facilities 24 seven, where there's a friendly face at the, uh, at the desk when they enter into the facility, uh, greeting them and providing them the support they need. So um, I think there's, uh, when our, uh, clients and our residents uh, talk about Native American connections, they'll say that it's, you know, um, a connection to family, that we're part of their extended family. It's such a holistic approach, you know, the, the addressing of body, mind, and spirit. And I can't imagine that it doesn't affect outcomes to a significant level. I mean, anybody can offer services, but the, the cultural appropriateness, I would imagine just puts a spark of self-discovery within a person that maybe they didn't know was there before. And I think that's very powerful. And from the Catholic perspective, that's the whole idea of what discipleship is. It's this, you're a member of a family and it, you know, just what you described and seeing a friendly face and greeting and these things that are woven into our very being that maybe have, have gone dormant. For, for a time and, and to awaken those is very powerful. So I imagine you've seen the impact on some of your community members that that's had and that's really inspiring. So you, you know, you use the term a healthy mind, body and spirit. And that was actually the model that I walked into 42 years ago. We're gonna provide whatever is, is healthy for your mind and education, whatever is healthy for your body and the way we eat and exercise and access healthcare. But really, I think what was different for our programs back then was we're going to do whatever it takes to heal the spirit, because that healing of the spirit is really where you get long term recovery. 
Um, you know, you can make physical changes and educational mental changes, but really that spiritual change is where we see people um, having long lasting wellness and, and health, you know, spiritual health. So um, that was actually the model that we, we started with. And, you know, that's kind of the core tenets of uh, social determinants of health right now, or, you know, um, the whole body or whole person aspect, you know, when people are talking about that, that's kind of the, the new way we're approaching healthcare now. And, and I think about, you know, that was already present within our community, uh, you know, when I came here so many years ago. It's not that, new to us. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and you know, just the, the broad base of support, too, within the community. I know that you partner with so many different organizations um, within the community. And how is, how is that strengthening the, the work that Native American Connections does? And, and how can we be more involved in the work that you do? Well, I really appreciate that. You know, so much of the time uh, we're funded by the government and the government has created departments and compliance that are really very siloed. You know, you think of the Department of Health and education and workforce, and they're all in different departments and they fund you very differently. And then there's a lot of financial accountability and compliance that's in a silo. But people come to us with multiple needs and they touch the church the same way or a parish community the same way. They might come in for one need, but you're finding, um, they might be looking for a job, but you're finding they might be on the verge of homelessness and they don't have enough food to feed their children and they don't have the right clothes or equipment to go to work or their car is breaking down and they just, they need some gas or they need some tires, you know? So um, we know what we do really well and we reach out to community partners to fill the gaps. So we're not a workforce agency, but we're working with the Phoenix Indian Center and St. Joseph the Worker um, with some of the youth workforce agencies, you know, to really make sure that our clients are and residents are deeply connected to, uh, you know, meaningful work and work that can pay a living wage. Um, so I, I think of church communities as very much the same thing. They might come to you, you know, for spiritual healing, but you find out they have, you know, many other needs in order to really be um, uh you know, to be okay and live safely in their community. So I think we, we look to the churches in very much the same way. I, I know that our, our volunteer coordinator and our volunteer efforts, uh, um, you know, you're, we're always doing a drive of something, you know, socks and underwear and pillows for our homeless community and the toiletries that maybe our youth shelter needs, um, food to make sure that we have, you know, um, access to healthy foods. Um, but also I think there's much more that we could do in terms of, of uh, extending that sense of community um, support out to um, local churches and other local um, organizations that provide um, external community support that we can only do a part of it. We need our partners uh, you know, to pick up those other um, parts of the uh, person's life that is um, in need. 
I like that you mentioned the word silos, especially when it comes to, you know, grant funding. And then there's always the reporting that has to be done with that. And when really we're trying to live a life of integration. And of course, you know, we want to take advantage of all of the resources that are available to us. But what I'm hearing you describe is very much a theology of what we would say is the the body of Christ, right? We are many parts, but we're all one body and we all have different things to offer, but we are only able to offer it to one another so long as we're connected in meaningful ways to each other, right? My hand doesn't help me if it's detached from the body, you know, so. That's a very so, nice way to put it. So I just think of things like this, where we we sit and we listen to one another and we share stories and, um, and connect in that way are so important. So this being um, Native American Heritage Month, what do you wish that the, the broader community here in the Phoenix area knew about the different Native American communities that come together here? So again, if you allow me to step back just a little bit, I think COVID has really woken up the, uh, you know, our communities to, um, to think about racial equity and racial justice, and, um, economic justice and criminal justice and all those things that um, bring race and equality to our communities. And so I'm really grateful for COVID in that way of all the, the despair and loss that COVID has brought. It's also brought some really good things. And that's a connection to health and housing and has supported this uh, eye-opening of, of racial equity and social justice. Um, the, uh, the loss in the native community, uh, they had the highest infection rates, hospital, hospitalization rates and death rates of the, in the United States last year in 2020. And um, just coming back from that, uh, I thought, I think brought an interest of how native American people live uh, and why those rates are so high. And I think people began to see a very different community that had not enough housing. It was overcrowded and it was substandard and there wasn't water and there weren't roads and there weren't grocery stores to bring fresh foods. And they didn't have any supply chain whatsoever to get uh, things to the reservation. Um, and so I think there became a very deep interest in. Um, uh, in the Native community um, that COVID opened the door. But I think Native America, I'm, I'm looking for a, a time in our country where we don't have to have a special month to really know and understand the history of Native American people. The people that were here longer than anyone else, so we have to have a special month. But it's been fun because a lot of people have connected to Native American connections and asked for um, a blessing. We we went with our uh, traditional people to the Human Service Campus on uh, uh, um, National Native American Day, and we opened the morning at the campus with all the homeless population with a beautiful spiritual gathering and prayers and connection. A reminder that there's those of us that out there that are praying for every single person, regardless of. Uh, where they live. Um, 
And then uh, we've done a lot of things at the Phoenix Indian School Visitor Center. Um, we had a boarding school here in Phoenix for 99 years, 1891 to 1990. To 1990. And, um, I don't think a lot of people realize that. 1990. Yeah. yeah. And so we now, uh, it's now a part of Steele Indian School Park owned by the city of Phoenix, but Native American Connections has a long uh, contract with the city to now operate the in Phoenix Indian School Visitor Center in the original elementary school where Native American children were forcibly removed from their families in 1891 and sometimes brought to the school when they were as small as age five and many times stayed for years and years, maybe even to age 18. And so uh, you know, for a long time, the boarding schools were a very painful part of uh, American history. And we teach that history of the school. Later on, you know, during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, students more selected to go to the school for high school, uh, particularly in those tribal communities where we still didn't have a high school. And, um, and they began to make uh, the changes of being proud of their language and their culture and, um, and bringing school spirit from a cultural perspective uh, back to the school. But we have, uh, we have a gallery and we have a commercial kitchen where we offer uh, uh, healthy foods for some of the native chefs that are starting their indigenous businesses. And we have a, a gathering place. We recently had, um, about a hundred people come for the celebration of life ceremony for one of our elders that just passed. Mm -hmm. We have graduations from college, uh, you know, a school that might've had some negative connotations for uh, people years ago, or now it's a gathering place for people to come and celebrate their high school graduations and college graduations. And, and then the gallery is open for tours and education and um, there's been a lot of attention on the boarding schools in Canada and now here in the United States with Secretary Holland uh, announcing that we're going to be doing reconciliation with, uh, uh, you know, some of the boarding schools. So um, there's uh, Native American Night at the Suns tonight. And um, there's the just been activities all cool. month long. <laughs> yeah, PBS has been running specials yeah. all month long. So Vision Maker is a great place to find over 200 Native American films. Um, there's a couple fun series right now, Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs. People might've heard about those that yeah. are airing um, on HBO and Peacock. So um, there's lots of ways. Indian Country Today broadcasts out of um, the Walter Cronkite School at ASU and they do a daily online broadcast of news across the country from Indian country. So lots of ways that the community can begin to really learn and understand and share the history, the rich history of indigenous people. It's really exciting to see the transformation that's available and the reconciliation that's available from a faith-based perspective. We say that there's no such thing as death without resurrection. And, and to, to be able to live within that and to be a big part of that must be so exciting. And, and I'm excited just hearing about it, which is awesome. And, you know, for somebody who's also excited about this, who might be listening or watching, 
uh, this conversation who feels inspired, what do you hope they might do because of, of hearing this today? Well, I think um, not from just this podcast, this podcast or this conversation that we're having, but I think there's a call to action across our country that we can, we can learn and that's the first step, but we need to act. We can't um, sit back and let others to act anymore. So uh, reaching out, learning, and then taking the action that you can take and everybody's action will be different, but in what way can you uh, act and, um, and give to make this a better place and community in which we live? What are you excited about? What's, what's on the horizon for, um, for Native American connections that's really exciting for you? Well, I tell you, it was COVID was exciting for us. We never closed. We were an organization that we never closed one day. We got together as a group and determined we were an essential service. And that included our administrative staff. If we were going to ask our direct employees to come to work every day and keep our doors open and serve some of our communities most vulnerable, we need to do that too. But we had three projects, big construction and uh, service projects that opened during COVID. We opened a brand new 48 bed wellness center, the Patina Mountain Preserve in Sunny Slope. And we opened another 42 beds of permanent supportive housing for chronic homeless. And then um, uh, actually we opened two homeless communities, 154 units and 142 units. And then we opened up the lodge in downtown Phoenix at the roadway in uh, bridge housing to ensure that homeless seniors who had high medical complications and at risk for COVID had a safe place to live. So we actually opened four programs during 2020 and the early part of 2021. So they were already on the books, except for the bridge. You know, we opened that within six days with a county, county the county as our partner, to get our seniors off the streets uh, during the midst of COVID July of 2020. And so we have um, uh, some more plans. We're opening some affordable housing in downtown Phoenix for our low-income working families. The rents, most people know that the rents are very unaffordable to a lot of our Arizona residents now. And so right in the heart of downtown Phoenix on Third Street and the I-10 across from the Phoenix Art Center, we're opening another 240 uh, affordable housing units um, where rents will range from 500 to about $800 a month. And we all know that downtown rents are well over $2,000 a month now. So we're excited about that, bringing housing where people of any income, of any job, or service industry workers working in the hotels and the restaurants and and um, you know, keeping our services open and available. Don't have to drive an hour to get to work uh, because they can't afford it, that they can live in downtown. We're opening another youth shelter, another uh, 50 bed youth shelter in the West Valley. And that's with some of the, the new ARPA funds. And, um, and we're very excited because we don't want homeless youth to spend one more day on the street that a, a youth, a national study that we participated in uh, indicated that a youth is approached for some kind of trafficking within 48 hours of being homeless. So we wanna intervene really quickly with our homeless youth, get them into a safe place and 
give them the educational and workforce skills they need. Um, if you can change the trajectory of a homeless youth, we don't want them to become the chronic homeless uh, that we're serving, that we're seeing unsheltered now that, you know, cost us in the healthcare system and the criminal justice system. We, we really want to intervene with our youth and give them a very different uh, path in life. Um, so we're working on that. We're just trying to get ready to look at opportunity that comes available with some of the, you know, new programs and new funding that's coming from the federal government. And, you know, if we can, if we're capable, we have the capacity and expertise, you know, to keep expanding services and keep, keep, um, you know, um, meeting the needs of our community. So, uh, yeah, I don't see it slowing down. I only seeing it get, uh, you know, uh, stepping up even, you know, even to a greater intensity. So not much going on. This is basically what I heard. <laughs> I mean, do, do you take time to eat lunch once in a while or does that happen? Or, no, not so much. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Spending okay. time, you know, taking that little break to visit with your co-workers and your family and friends. Yes, that's right. Got to stay grounded. So just to bring it around full <laughs> circle here, uh, uh, we never give nicknames to ourselves. So when did you become Dee Dee and how did that happen? You know, uh, my dad called me Dinah. Uh, and, but everybody else, when I was just a child, called me Dee Dee and it, it just it never left. You know, it was always a way to, that when people called me Dee Dee, I knew they were my friends and family and that I knew them well. And, uh, you know, I sign a lot of documents now. <laughs> the sophistication of our organization. And I have to sign any, everything in my legal name, which is Diana Yazi Divine. Uh, so if they call me that, I know that it's legal. And if they call me Didi, I know it's family. Well, Didi, thank you so much for, for, for spending this time <laughs> with us here at St. Patrick Catholic Community. We'll always be looking for ways to strengthen our bonds with Native American connections. And it's just inspiring to hear the story to spend some time with you. And uh, we look forward to, to more stories and more time and more connections in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been my pleasure. And thank you for your interest in what we're doing and this wanting to strengthen our connection. I look forward to that. And I know that PJ does as well. Great, thank you so much. This has been the conversation from St. Patrick's Studio and we will see you next time. <laughs>